Hi, AP Lit. Good evening. This is Mrs. Ford, putting on my blue light glasses, getting ready to do some work. Okay, it's Wednesday. It's 8.23 p.m. Hope everybody's doing okay. Um, today on the episode, I'm going to talk specifically about the poem by William Butler Yeats called The Second Coming. And I tried to, or I attempted to put like comments on my own document, but I'm not sure if you were able to see them. Um, but I want to talk through this poem and try to give you an idea of what we would have talked about in class, like what lines are key here. Um, as you guys know, Achebe gets the title of his book from this poem. And then I'm opening the book. There's an epigraph that says, hold on, I think there's an epigraph. Oh, then. The entire epigraph is, turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the second, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. So what we want to specifically talk about tonight is the meaning of the poem. And then we also want to specifically talk about how it connects with the book. So first, I hope you guys read the... Um, I hope you guys read the historical context. And the, like the, the thing that I'm trying to say here is that for William Butler Yeats, the time period that he's writing it in, oddly enough, um, I would imagine felt quite, I don't know, apocalyptic to him, for lack of a better word. And I don't mean that he thought the world was actually ending, but more that he was watching a lot of human suffering um, in, you know, I don't want to call it unprecedented because I feel like that word has been kind of overused. But I do want to say that when World War I happened, no one alive had ever seen anything like that or been around for anything like that. And then when we talk about the Easter Rebellion, this is also something that as an Irish poet would have been particularly painful for him. So I think that it is important for us to know that in terms of context, Yeats is um, seeing something, witnessing something, living through something that was a lot. I mean, it's, I, I don't want to compare it. I don't want to compare time periods at all because it's really not what I'm, what I want to do, but when, you know, you can imagine how heavy your heart feels these days, right? Like you're living through something, you're watching things happen. And depending on how much you're choosing to watch or how close you are to the front lines of this, um, for some of you it could have a major impact. You know, maybe you have a mom or a dad who goes to work at a hospital and treats COVID patients every day. Um, but we are really deeply in a really extremely challenging time right now. And I think I, I can't speak to what it would be like to live through a world war and watch that from the sidelines. But, you know, you understand that you're, there's a lot of people dying. You feel like the world is, is falling apart for lack of a better word. Um, and, and he's trying to articulate it. Um, in terms of religion, this is a big part of the poem. The second coming is when Christians believe that Jesus will come back to the earth. Um, this is in the book of Revelations. 
one I've got a million tabs open that I'm looking at while I talk to you guys about this. Um, the book is Revelation. I don't know if it's Revelation or Revelations. <laughs> it's like a real Mrs. Fordism there. Like, I don't know. I'm not that familiar with the Bible. You know who I know? My son. If he comes up here, I'll ask him. Um, anyway, so the second coming is, this is in the description. It's about the book from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, where it is said that Jesus will return and reign over earth in the end of times. Okay. And if you're not a person who knows anything about Christianity, this absolutely does not matter whatsoever. All you need to know is the sentence that I just read to you. And it's kind of the same thing about, um, when you're reading things fall apart, like you don't have to be Christian or have any understanding of Christianity to understand that book. Um, so Yates references, obviously, excuse my God. Excuse me on, guys. Uh, obviously, Yates refers to this in um, the arrival of Jesus when he gives us this title, The Second Coming. So let's get to it. So The Second Coming, turning and turning in the widening gyre. If you look this up, it's got a lot of different definitions, but it's like a vortex. So the picture of vortex, but the vortex is widening, right? The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lacked, lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming, hardly are those words out when a vast image out of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with a lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again. But now I know that 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Ooh. So we have a lot of really dark imagery in that second stanza. In the first stanza, we have this sense of you know, you want to picture like a vortex or like I picture the middle of a tornado, right? And if it's, if it's, if it's widening, you know, that's a bad thing. Um, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. And when it says the center cannot hold, I picture the center of that vortex or the widening gyre. Okay. One of my questions was, who do you think the falconer is? Who do you think the falcon is? I think there's a lot of interesting and good ideas for the answer to this. And I do not have the right answer. I cannot say that enough, guys. Like, I am not here to tell you what this poem means as if I know what every poem means. Um, if you're still looking for an answer key on poetry this late in the game, I feel for you in the sense that, like, you kind of missed the point of the whole class. <laughs> the point of the whole class is these super talented people are trying to communicate these really complicated ideas to us, and they're doing that through language, and they don't make things maybe as clear as some of you want them, but there's a lot that we can get out of it by using analytical clues. So that's really what, that's really what this is about. It's using the analytical clues. 
when we talk about the Falcon and the Falconer, right, I am picturing like a Falcon trainer, like, like the guy who stands on his arm and the Falcon like lands on it. And, you know, he stands there in the middle of the open and the Falcon leaves his arm and flies around and then he comes back to the arm, right? But because the, the gyre is widening, the Falcon's up flying around and he cannot hear the Falconer. That was a pretty literal description. I think you can also think of it as like two people, one who is trying to mold the other and they have now been separated and they can't hear each other. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. That line's pretty obvious. This, you know, in the midst of this second coming, right? Maybe this is the end of the world. It turns into anarchy. The blood dim tide is everywhere. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. So if we were in class, we would talk about how this specific line applies to things fall apart. And one thing that I know I personally think about every time is the best lack all conviction. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second. Like what does the word conviction means? What does that word mean? It means that you absolutely believe in something, all your heart, mind, body, and soul. But it also means that you're not willing to question or um, be humble. It means you're not willing to negotiate your beliefs in any way or compromise your beliefs in any way. And in some cases, like you can imagine the Mr. Browns of the world or the Obiarikas of the world, those are the ones who lack the conviction, right? Like they believe, but like they don't, you know, they're, they're willing to talk basically. They believe, but they also want to move forward. You know, Obiarika doesn't want to kill twins anymore. So the best, the best guys, Obiarika, Mr. Brown, they lack the conviction. That's a really in this context of things fall apart, like that's a good quality to have. You want someone who is not going to be so black and white like Mr. Smith. Okay. And then it says, while well, the worst are full of passionate intensity. And that is of course true of Okonkwo and Mr. Smith. You know, these guys, excuse me, I had to get some water. They believe in their cultures 120% and they think it's the only one. And if you don't worship my God, then I, I you know, I think you're wrong and I'll take everything you have to prove it. So the worst are obviously full of passionate intensity. And to me, that line really speaks to um, those foiled characters that we've been talking a lot about. Okay. Second stanza. Then Yates says some, surely some revelation is at hand. So the speaker now is saying like, whoa, the world's like imploding on itself. Surely the second hand, the second coming is at hand. Like Oh my gosh, here it is. We've been waiting. Here, we're getting ready to see Jesus. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of the spiritus mundi, and if you Google this word, it means like, you know, shared worldly spirit, troubles my sight. So we're waiting for Jesus out on the horizon, but instead of Jesus, we get something else. What do we get instead? Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with a lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun. It's slow, it's, is moving, it's slow thighs. So we have the lion body and the head of a man. I, I guess my question for you guys is that I'm very intrigued to know is, why do you think this is the image that we get? 
I know that the Sphinx has some, um, you know, it has a lot of mythical connections. What do you guys think that this represents? We know that this figure that's coming is somehow evil or demonic because it troubles the sight of a speaker. It has these slow moving thighs. So we sort of, we sort of picture like the, ugh, ugh, right? Like some beast walking through the desert, like very labored and gross. And then it's as pitiless as the sun. While all about it, real shadows of the indignant desert birds. Let's well, an equally spooky ambiance, right? The darkness drops again. So he thought it was going to be Jesus, but instead we have this monster, right? The darkness drops again. But now I know that 20 centuries of stony sleep. So if we think about, if we think about this is written a little after, oh, we move from one millennia to another. 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, it's our come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. Okay, so a couple takeaways. The first is that that rocking cradle, I think at least, is a reference to Jesus. So 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. Something about how when Jesus came the first time, um, you know, perhaps allowed the world, I don't know if the, <laughs> if the time after his death was a nightmare for everybody, but it's something about Jesus's impact on the world. And then it says, what rough beast, it's our come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. So the speaker, like in its simplest sense, is waiting for Jesus to come because things are falling apart. But instead of Jesus, we have the arrival of a monster. Now, if we were in class, here are some things that we would talk about. The first thing we would talk about is, is how does it, how does the book connect to the poem? And we've already talked about the foils of Obiorica and Oconquo or Mr. Brown and Mr. Smith and how those specifically connect to the line of those who lack all conviction versus those who um, are full of passion and intensity. But another thing that I find to be really interesting about this poem is that Yeats feels like he's living through the end of something. Um, even if it's the end of a culture, even if it's the end of, I mean, you know, I don't want to say civilization, but he really felt like there was something tremendous happening. And I'm sure it really did feel that way. I certainly feel that way on, on several levels. Um, but he's, he's, he's fought, he's moving through the end of something and he's trying to articulate that. But instead of a savior arriving, it's almost like the opposite arrives, right? So how does that connect with what we just read? Well, interestingly enough, the Igbo people, they were not Christian. So the thing that made their entire world fall apart was in fact Jesus. And I just think that's interesting. In the second coming, there's this reference that Jesus is going to be our savior, right? If only he could come. But in Things Fall Apart, Jesus is the annihilator of the culture. And of course, I don't mean him literally. I'm not trying to accuse the religion of Christianity because there are a million Mr. Browns out there. But the reality is, is that with guys like Mr. Smith in charge and the district commissioner and the presence of both the religion and the government, 
they decimated the Igbo people. And the tragedy is first that the Igbo people became decimated, but then the unequal tragedy is the loss of the culture, right? That last line of the book where we get this idea that, um, no one will ever know the story of Okonkwo. We will never know the story of the people who lived here because we just kept, and by we, I don't know why I'm saying we, um, the West, you know, we just insist on telling the story every single time we go somewhere. So in, in the case of William Butler Yeats, Jesus or Christianity would be the savior. And perhaps he feels that culture is being lost. And then in Virginia Wachabi and things fall apart, that savior, or sorry, the the person who's making his world fall apart is actually is actually the people who are communicating the word of Jesus, which I find to be really interesting, ironic, all sorts of things. Another important thing that I want to talk about in this poem is this idea of, I don't want to say, yes, I'll say the apocalypse, like this idea of the end of days, right? And when you look at what that meant for Yates and his culture at the time, you know, he's living through a world that's full of war and violence. And, um, obviously the 1916 Easter rebellion was brutal. Um, and there was a lot of life lost when we think about uh, things fall apart. I almost feel like, and I made this comment on several people's papers and I put this in my global feedback, I think, but it would almost be better for Okonkwo if he if he could have died bravely protecting his culture, but he didn't. He died the most shameful death humanly possible. And I think that that is really a huge part of this book. It's just, it's not about, it's not just about this whole collective culture. It's about what certain individuals experienced in the presence of colonialism. You know, you just don't, you don't just kill people, right? Like that's kind of the thing. It, it would be one thing. I shouldn't say it would be one thing. It would be a huge thing. If all you did was say, well, you're, you're alive, I'm going to kill you. But I want you guys to remember that word that we talked about a couple weeks ago or last week, which was annihilation. Like these people annihilated Okonkwo. And what I mean by that is, and I put this on a lot of your papers, he is no longer going to be worshiped by anyone in his family now that he's dead. And even if you don't, if you didn't like him, even if you don't believe in an afterlife, this is still a very significant moment because we understand that it wasn't just that his physical body was killed, but his entire spiritual universe was killed. And again, even if you're not a person who believes in a spiritual universe, that's still a huge thing. I mean, it, it, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's like, dying knowing you were, you know, betrayed by the person closest to you. Like, it's like this thing that you believed in your whole life and somebody shoved it in your face in the last minute and said, this is all a lie and nothing you ever thought is real. And so it's more than just a physical death. And many people said that in their answers. It's a really important spiritual death. And it's fun. That's not funny at all. But it's like, we have to recognize, I think when we I think a good question would be, what do we miss when we study the scramble for Africa in history books? What do we miss? It's not that we don't know the history, but we're missing a lot. And that's a that's something that we should think about in this moment is what are we missing when we study the scramble for Africa in our history books? What is everybody missing when they 
when they read through the scramble for Africa. Like a lot of times with single stories, people will say like, oh yeah, they got the story all wrong. And I was like, no, 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 nobody is telling a lie. That's like why it's so hard to move past it. Nobody's lying to you, but we just have a lot of information missing. Okay. Um, what else do I want to talk to you guys about? Okay. So that's the poem that you guys are going to be working on today and tomorrow. And then the rest of it is about themes. Um, I cannot express this enough when I say I am not going to sit here on the podcast and talk you through each theme. I'm actually going to wrap up the podcast for the night, guys. I, I want you to do all this theme work on your own. I want you to think about it. I want you to write out as much as you want. You don't have to package it in like this beautiful little one sentence. It can be messy. It can contradict itself but I just want to hear your thoughts on these themes. This is really the biggest thinking of the book. So please make sure you're posting that. Okay. Lastly, everybody, if you're listening to this, I just want to tell you that we are going to do a, I'm going to call it a project, but I don't really want to freak anybody out, but I would, I would like to, I'm going to post a follow-up assignment to things fall apart. Okay. Um, but I do not want to post it until after next week. We have the AP exam on Wednesday of next week, and I i mean, I have to run this by Milash, but I don't feel comfortable giving you guys work to do when I also want you simultaneously getting ready for the exam, okay? Um, I'll run that by Milash. Okay, that's it for tonight. I'll be back on Monday, regardless of what I post. I'll be back for a podcast on Monday. All right, have a good night, guys.